Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And it's book club day. It is. And the book we read this month was so much fun. I don't know that I agree with that, but we can hash it out. Oh, I enjoyed it. What's with your voice today? You have a very, like, (laughs) smooth jazz radio personality voice. I don't know. This is just how I talk. (laughs) No, it's not. How do I talk? Not that gently. Oh, well, I guess I'm just in a very serene mood today. We'll see if if I if my voice changes. Well, how are you doing? Um, are you serene? I'm pretty serene today. Um, there's been a lot of ups and downs um, this week, but pretty good. It's Friday. It's a long weekend. Um, we're getting lobster rolls at some point. I'm so excited for that. And um, I think on Sunday. Yeah, it's supposed to be nice. Yeah. What's your high? My high this week? Um, so it's not a real high yet, but it's a high I'm excited about. I love having a good project. So I am hard at work on my patio. And by right now, hard at work, I mean ordering supplies. And it will be hard work once the supplies start to come. So I ordered like privacy ivy to um, tie up along the fence. Because I, um, I have a patio, but it's street adjacent. So there's not a lot of privacy. And it's not really a great place to hang out. But I want to make it a great place to hang out for the summer because we're going to be here a lot. And I feel comfortable having friends over when we're outside and like sitting far away. So it's a nice way to see people. I am very pro this, especially considering I plan to be the number two beneficiary of your patio. Yeah. So I ordered turf to put down as carpet. I ordered a really cute little love seat. I need to find a table. I'm going to be working on plants this weekend. That's one of my projects is okay. to – because I think the plant place that we like is open for curbside service. So I want to get some tomatoes and some mint. My mom and I are kind of conferencing about this to talk about what plants are good for that environment because there's a lot of sun. Um And I just want to make it like a little oasis. And I'm just so excited about the turf in particular because I think it'll be really bright and happy. Um, And I just envision this as like a really nice place to go and hang out this summer when we can't go anywhere. I'm very excited. Yeah. So that's my that's my high. How about you? Um, I'm just really looking forward to the long weekend. It's Friday as we record this. And um, I'm going to take a three day weekend. I feel like I don't always take three-day weekends when there are holidays working for myself, but I want to, and I I need to de-stress a little, yeah. so I'm excited to like sleep and read, and my only plan this weekend is that I want to get a lobster roll with you mm-hmm. and eat it in the park. Yes. That's I all I want. Idea. I don't know where we're going to get it, but that feels like a Memorial, weekend, Memorial Day weekend activity. Yes. It's a good one. So... I'm, yeah, I'm just I'm feeling very positive. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to walks and reading and just chilling out and lobster rolls. What about on the low front? Um, it's nothing specific. I just had a few days this week where I felt like very depressed. I'm sorry, and very down, and like I can't like say what exactly it is or why I felt this way. But I just you know, and I think that it's normal. We're in a pandemic. Um, we don't know when things are going to get better. I think it's actually been a lot harder watching parts of the country reopen while we're still stuck at home um, because you're starting to see people do things. And I'm just like, and we are stuck in our apartments. Kind of. But I I don't think I would feel comfortable even if somebody decreed that tomorrow no. life was back to normal. 
that, like I wouldn't feel comfortable I going wouldn't, outside. I, not going outside, but like yeah. going to a restaurant, being yeah. on the subway. No, I agree. I just I think um it's it's hard watching people do things and I get a little depressed. And that's not even what it was. I don't know what it was. Like I can't I wish like that's the thing with like feeling depressed is like you can't pinpoint it. You just feel like shit. I'm like you know, you think about like all the things that would be making you depressed. Like, is this in line? Is that in line? All the things that I had control over were done. It was just an overall like shitty feeling. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, but other than like, I feel fine today. Today's great. We have a long weekend. I think I just, I, I know my own emotions have been really up and down over the past two or three months. Now you have lobster rolls to look forward to. Yes. I can't wait. Me either. Um, what is your low? Milo is just I am feeling some general anxiety as we get close to the rom-com pods launch, which is Monday, June 1st. Oh, my gosh. So this for us is a week from Monday, but it's, it's going to be in like this four coming days Monday for this. anyone listening to this. Oh yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so exciting, though. It's so exciting. But I'm, I'm starting to have just that general anxiety of like, will people like it? Mm-hmm. And then also just the reality. We so we funded it ourselves and has cost a significant amount of money given that there are actors and an editor, a production assistant, a sound designer. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting people. Um, but, you know, it, it just is a much more involved production than Bad on Paper is. And um, and you don't have ads? No, uh, no we have some cross promotion. So it like okay. seems it, like feels like an ad but it's free okay we're buying some ads on other podcasts actually oh interesting yeah but i'm just because we've put money into this because we put so much effort into this because we love it so much it feels just very vulnerable to be putting it out into the world and i'm just nervous of if people will think my child is beautiful they will your child is beautiful thank you so yeah i'm just um i'm in my head yeah is is the thing I think that's normal. Anytime you have something that you're so excited about and care so much about and you just want everyone to love it as much as you do. Yeah. I've, that's how. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I feel that way about my Amazon collection because I really put so much work into it and I love it so much and I think it's so great. But like – But I have no doubts about your Amazon collection. I think it's going to fly. Someone on the internet wrote that I DM me like just a mean note being like you're designing cheap and nasty dresses. Oh, <laughs> so I need to. I've been stepping away from the DMs like while I've been a little bit depressed. I'm kind of behind, but I, it, the negativity lately has been not so nice. Well, I feel very positive about your Amazon collection. I've seen it all. I can vouch for it. It's not There's, cheap and nasty. <laughs> it's not cheap and nasty. Or if it is, then that's what I'm into. <laughs> And maybe that's our personal brand. Maybe it is cheap and nasty. I've I've already picked out there are Grace gave me one piece already, but then there are three other pieces that I want to buy. Like I'm going to be first in line. What are you getting? I want the red dress, like the loose dress without a waist. The nightgown dress. The nightgown dress. I want the short green dress. Mm -hmm. And then I want the uh, green leopard top. Those are great for you. That's what I would pick. Yeah, those yeah. those are what I want. Not that I don't like the other things, but I feel like I, yeah, don't need a whole. I don't need the whole collection. Yeah, I mean, I don't need the whole collection. I have it, but and I love it, but it's a lot of clothes. Like you don't need eight new dresses. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm going to be first in line. Thanks for the support. 
If you would like to support us in other ways, this is Desperation Minute when we tell you how you can do things for us. Yes. So if you like this podcast, the best thing you can do is share it um, or leave a review. But why not throw up a screenshot, tag us so we can see it, um, and just spread the word or just tell a friend, call your mom, tell her to listen to this podcast. Start a podcast club where all of you and your friends listen to a podcast and discuss it. Yeah. Join our book club. It's our podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's ours. Um, Or come to our Facebook group. Yeah. I mean, this is free. We're not really making any money from the podcast this month, but we love doing it. So the best thing you can do is listen so that and tell people so that we keep growing. Yeah. Let's get into this book. Yes. So this month we read The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. Mm -hmm. And we chose it. Neither of us had read it before we picked it, but Grace's mom had read it and told us that it was very good. Yes. We thought about a lot of different books and ultimately felt like we needed something light because everything is so heavy right now that for the most part, I'm in a very light reading mood. Yeah. Anything heavy right now, I just can't handle. So we picked this and... I guess let's do the plot summary and then we can discuss our feelings. Yes. Our thoughts. So the book starts in 1988. Patricia Campbell is a busy housewife living in Charleston, looking after two troublemaking kids and taking care of her aging mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law is Miss Mary, who has moved in with the family. She joins a book club to give herself a distraction, but the first book club she joins end up being way too serious extremely rigorous, and some of the women splinter off and form their own new book club to read true crime books. Four years later, in 1992, the women in Patricia's book club have become her best friends and her support network. So one night after book club, when Patricia is taking out the trash, she is attacked by a feral elderly neighbor who bites her earlobe off. You heard that right. It's not a feral animal. It's a feral person. An elderly neighbor. So the neighbor later dies in the hospital, and Patricia feels compelled to bring over a casserole to the woman's nephew who is caring for her. So she goes to the house, and when he doesn't answer the door, she lets herself in, and she finds him in a bedroom, and she thinks he's dead. So she starts performing CPR, and he wakes up in the middle of this and throws her out. So a few days later, the nephew, James Harris, comes by Patricia's house to return her casserole dish and apologize. She invites him in to have dessert with her family, but her mother-in-law, who's increasingly senile, freaks out. The next day, Patricia goes by his house to apologize and ends up helping him with some matters of his aunt's estate, including helping him to open a bank account. So after spending the day together, she invites him to join her book club. So at book club, Miss Mary again freaks out over James, and she starts calling him Hoyt Pickens. But no one really thinks much of this because Miss Mary is very senile. So later that night, Patricia's daughter, Corey, sees a man climbing on their roof. And without her husband home, Patricia springs into action to protect her family. But eventually, James shows up explaining that he saw the floodlights on in the yard, and he quote-unquote saves them. So that night, Patricia goes in to check on Miss Mary, and in a moment of clarity, Miss Mary explains that Hoyt Pickens killed her father. But as we hear the story, that's not quite true. Hoyt Pickens was an out-of-towner who helped her father sell illegal alcohol in the cities during Prohibition. In the months that Hoyt was around, children started disappearing in town. 
Hoyt points the finger at a black man with mental disabilities. Her father leads a mob of townspeople to go and kill him. Later, Hoyt disappears, leaving her father with a surplus of alcohol he can't sell. He steadily drinks it himself and eventually hangs himself. But Miss Mary blames it on Hoyt Pickens. So one night, Patricia and her family are out at a birthday party while Miss Mary stays at home with her nurse. So suddenly, an army of rats has invaded the house, and they close in on Miss Mary, eventually killing her. So Mrs. Green, the nurse, hid in the bathroom and escaped alive but with injuries. So a few days later, Patricia goes to visit Mrs. Green on the outskirts of town where she lives in a black neighborhood. So Mrs. Green tells her that there's something going on in her neighborhood. Kids are turning up dead, and there's been a white man spotted in the woods. So she's written down the license plate of a weird car she saw. The car belongs to James Harris, so Patricia is convinced that something is off, but her book club friends don't believe her. She decides to go back to Six Mile because Mrs. Green told her about a girl who was sick and this had happened to another child out there before he died. So when they show up at the girl's house, she's missing. Patricia goes into the woods to find her while they wait for the police and discovers James Harris with the girl in the back of his van. When the police show up, the girl is back in her bed sleeping. So eventually, Patricia convinces her friends that they need to investigate this. All of their true crime books have shown them that it pays to be paranoid. So after spending time planning how they'll lay out their argument, they decide to invite the police to their book club to lay out that James is a drug dealer and then leave the police to fill in the blanks on his other nefarious activities. But their husbands show up instead and shut the whole thing down because they've gone into business with James and they're sure that he's an upstanding citizen and that their wives are just being crazy. So then the book fast forwards three years. Patricia is estranged from most of the book club ladies and focusing on trying to be the perfect wife and mother. And one morning, Miss Mary's ghost appears to her and urges her to find Mrs. Green and get the photo. Mrs. Green has a photo that just showed up on her coffee table of Hoyt Pickens in 1928, who's actually, of course, James Harris. Mrs. Green is scheduled to clean James's house that weekend, and Patricia goes with her to snoop. James is supposed to be away, but he comes back suddenly, and Patricia is trapped in the attic where she found the dead body of a neighbor packed up in a suitcase. So shortly after, James attacks and rapes Slick, who is one of the ladies from the book club, who tipped him off about Patricia's plan. So afterwards, she falls seriously ill, and the doctors think it's an autoimmune disease, but they can't figure out what's wrong with her. So while Slick is in the hospital, Patricia rallies the book club ladies, and they lay out what happened to Slick and decide that they must take on James. To do so, they use Patricia as bait, and while he's feeding on her, the rest of the women attack him, and then they dismember him and clean up the evidence so it looks like he just skipped town. Slightly after this, Slick dies. Patricia asks her husband for a divorce, and despite the hardship, they're relieved to see that their children are safe. So before we talk about the book, we're going to take a quick break to tell you about another podcast that we think you might like. So a lot is happening in the world. And personally, I'm finding it pretty hard to, f- to find the right balance of news consumption. So today we want to tell you about this, about Skim This. So it's a podcast from The Skim that cuts through the noise. So they're breaking down the biggest developments and the most complex stories of the week in under 30 minutes to give you the context on why they matter. 
Because in today's world, with so much changing, context is clarity. Skim This is clearing things up every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Grace, let's start super high level. What did you think of this book? It was wild. I enjoyed it. It was so weird. I will say that at times it was just a little too gruesome for me, like the rat scene. I had a hard time because I like to read before bed and like reading the rat scene or like when the cockroach went in her ear at one point when she was up in the attic, I just, it it was very gruesome and graphic, but I liked it. What did your mom think of it? Your mom loved it. Yeah, she loved it. She, she, what did she think? She said, she told me it was gruesome and that it was like a horror movie, but she liked, I think she liked the motherhood angle and she liked the book club ladies and that it was set in the South. Oh, funny. I didn't like this book. You didn't like it? No. I So I didn't hate it. It wasn't like I was cursing you or your mom or myself the whole time that I was reading it. But no, I didn't like it. I mean, I will say that if not for our book club, this is not something I ever would have picked up. This is so out of my wheelhouse. I don't think I would have picked it up either. It was like a little too campy, but I enjoyed it. And if I had picked it up, I probably would not have finished it if it weren't for our book club. Yeah. I am not a scary movie person. Oh, see, I love a scary movie. I am a weenie. I'm like too much of a baby for them. And did you watch True Blood back in the day? Yes, I did. Okay. I did. And there were scary parts of True Blood, but I feel like that was more about the sex than it was about like the scary parts. This felt scary. And it's weird because usually I'm scared of things that I perceive as being able to like it could happen to me. I'm not concerned about being attacked by a vampire. But even still, it was like very scary. And what about rats? That was terrifying. Sure. I'm, I'm terrified but in the case of the book they were being commanded by a vampire so i would hope that the rats would not do that of their own accord yes but yeah this was not for me i would give it like a three okay like i didn't hate it it's just not something that i yeah it's not a genre that i enjoy i think i gave it like a b plus or an a minus um i thought it was going to be campier than it was it was pretty campy at some points yeah but i thought it was going to be funny okay it was more gross campy than funny campy. Yeah. Or it was more like it wasn't funny. outlandish campy where it yeah. was like how these women were bending over backwards to not accuse him of being a vampire. Like there were like cons- intellectually funny parts, but there weren't laugh out loud funny parts. To yeah. Me. So I thought that that's w- I thought it was going to be funnier, in which case I think I would have liked it okay. a little bit more if it was like more ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, wait. So the book takes place in Charleston. How does this compare to your experience of Charleston? Well, so it's set in Mount Pleasant mostly, which is I've been I've only been to Mount Pleasant once or twice. And that's like the really idyllic. I guess it's like a more expensive area to live, like right over the bridge from downtown. Um, Chastity, our friend Chastity Evans lives there. Okay. And so because of that, I kind of pictured Chastity's house throughout. Like I felt okay. like Chastity was Patricia and like was envisioning her house throughout mo- most of us. Chastity's house is much nicer than Patricia's house, but it was still like in my head, the house that w- that it took place at. Um, I think it holds up. I mean, also this took place in the, in the 90s as opposed to right now. And I don't think Charleston was quite as nice or developed 
in the 90s as it is now. Yeah. Do you know what I didn't mention, but might be helpful context, is that apparently this book is a sequel. So in the author's note, did you read this? No. So the author wrote another book called My Best Friend's Exorcism, and it's about the children in the book. So I imagine it's told potentially from Corey's point of view or her friend, one of her friend's points of view. Oh, wow. And in it, the parents all come off as like really terrible. Okay. And so then this is the, it's not a sequel because you don't need to have read the first book to be able to follow what's happening. But this is like the same story, but it's told from the parents' point of view and what's going on with them. Oh my God, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I don't think I want to read the other one. No, but- It was basically like a direct reaction to the parents coming off as like awful in that other book to kind of tell their story about how they were feeling and what was happening behind the scenes of this while the vampire was attacking the children. Oh. Because apparently it wasn't it was not clear why, but the vampire preferred children. Yeah. But he also fed on Patricia. So it's not that he couldn't feed on adults. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe their blood is sweeter. Maybe. It wasn't. Maybe it's a taste thing. Yeah. That wasn't explained. But wait, the first book club that they were in sounded terrible. Oh, it sounded awful. Like imagine having to give a presentation about the book and the author. I feel like book club is like supposed to be a lighthearted, fun thing that you do with your friends and you get to eat and drink and just like talk about a book. It was, yeah, it sounded terrible. It was spearheaded by one woman who sounded very type A to an extreme and she picked all the books for the year and then she assigned a book to each person and they had to give a 20-minute presentation on it. And the first scene was they'd pick Cry the Beloved Country as their book club book. They were also reading classics. Yeah. And none of the books sounded appealing. Yeah. Nobody had read the book. And then Patricia was trying to fake her way through a 20-minute presentation, which sounds like the most anxiety-inducing scenario. Yeah. But what do you think makes a good book club? I feel like we've I think we've learned our way through this. I think everyone has to read the book. The people in the group need to be a mix of like lighthearted and fun, but also take it seriously enough to read the book. I've been in so many book clubs where it's a great group of people and like my dearest friends. So I love the personalities, but nobody reads the book. I also think you need to have more people in a book club. Then in in this, I think their book club was five people. I think a book club needs to be like 10 people because I feel like every time there's going to be people who don't get to read the book, which sure, in the best case scenario, everyone would read the book, but I don't think that's realistic. And then also, I feel like people will have other obligations. They might not be able to make it. So I feel like you need to be able to have a big enough group that people cannot read the book, but you could still have a conversation about it. Oh, see, I think like five is like the perfect number as long as you get the right people. I just don't like gatherings of more than like six people. Oh, interesting. I think like like I I really wouldn't want to have 10 people over my house. Yeah, but I feel like it would be so rare that 10 people, all 10 people would come. That is true. So that way it wouldn't be like two people cancel and then you're like, well, I guess we're not having book club anymore. Yeah, that's true. Maybe there's like eight total. Okay. And then the other thing I think is that you have to have a diversity of opinion. Mm-hmm. I like when our audience disagrees with us. Do you want to know something? What? I don't want to jinx it because this episode obviously hasn't come out yet at time of recording because we are recording it right now. But I think this is the first month in a long time that nobody has started a thread in our Facebook group telling us how much they hated this month's book pick. Oh my gosh, you're right. So I do. I do. I'm worried that that means people just didn't read it. It could be. <laughs> or people loved it. Yeah, but um, I'm so curious what you guys think. I, 
and I, I don't care when people don't like it. I was like, just going to say I don't mind when it, people disagree with us me. because it's, it adds something interesting to the discussion if we can bring in that point of view or yeah, um, as look long, at it from another way. As long as they're talking shit about the book and not us, I'm happy. Sure, of course. Yeah, um, but I think a diversity of opinion is interesting. Like I think that some of our worst book clubs, you and I, is when we have a book we both have the same thoughts and we both love it and that's like yeah, like we love it everything is so great oh my god that part was so great it's like so boring i it's like so being boring. able to have a discussion i also feel like there are some books that i really enjoy reading that would not make good book club picks like i think in a lot of cases romance books do not make great book club picks mm-hmm. there needs to be some conflict or something to talk about or else it's a happy ending. Like They tie up all the loose ends. I agree. Know? So I feel like having either some theme that has to do with like current events or something. Yeah, like I feel like there needs to be a little more meat to the book than just a, a murder slash thriller or a romance. Like there needs to be something else going on for, for you to pick apart and actually discuss. Yeah, I agree. And I also like talking and I'm sure everyone here has realized this i like talking about a book insofar as how it relates to our, our lives yeah versus just talking about the characters i agree like and i think that's in a lot of ways why i don't like older books like i don't tend to like historical fiction that much and i i don't really like love classics as a rule mm-hmm. and i think it's because it's interesting to read about but i can't relate it to my life which apparently just means i'm a self-centered monster but I just don't find myself enjoying those genres as much. I enjoy those genres. I just don't want to talk about them for a book club. Like I would never be like, let's read a let's read Moby Dick for book club this month. Have you ever read Moby Dick? No. It's boring. But I want to read it because I want to have read it. Ooh. <laughs> or like a Hemingway book. I feel like I've gotten that out of my system. I in college I was in the honors program at Boston College and it's a liberal arts school. So basically every year for four years, you had to take this class that counted as two two classes instead of one. So instead of needing to take five classes a semester, you only took four and this one was double. Ooh. And it was it was basically a survey of literature and art from the ancient Greeks to present. That sounds cool though. It was cool. And so I, I am really glad that I have read a good helping of the classics like I would never want to go back and read Dante's Inferno or read yeah. um, Proust or read Moby Dick or something like that. Yeah. So in that way, I'm kind of glad I've done it, but I don't have any compulsion to go back and read more classics. I'm I am staunchly a fan of contemporary literature. Yeah. But I support you. I just don't want to be in that book club. Yeah. No, I wouldn't want to be in a book club about it. I would just want to read it privately. Have you been in a lot of book clubs? Yeah. So when I first moved to New York, I was in one in Boston. When I first moved to New York, that was how I made all my friends. Was oh, okay. We were a bunch of transplants. So I worked for a department store and then a lot of us ended up in New York. And so it was kind of like this hodgepodge of girls that were working for Macy's and Brooks Brothers and a few different other companies. I was at, at P&G at the time. And so I brought in some of my P&G friends. And the book club lasted for like several years. We actually had a, a spinoff of it because so f- it got to a point where there were so many people and then 
a lot of people didn't read the book. So we started another club called Wine Club. So we had book club once a month and wine club. And wine club, we just all would pick up a wine from a different region and like drink wine and eat. And book club was the more serious one. I mean, that does also sound fun. Yeah. So the most successful book club I've ever been in was I was in a book club in San Francisco. And I stopped being the book club because I moved to New York. But we were a pretty good book club for about a year. And it's still going, actually. And oh, wow. I, I'm still friends with um, a couple of the girls who are still in the book club. And apparently, they also read this book for their book club this month, not because of that on paper, just in general. Oh, my God. No way. I know. So my friend Kate told me that. And I was like, oh, that makes me so happy that you still have this book club, but also sad that I'm not part of it. FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. There were also some really funny quotes about book clubs in here, and yeah. I didn't write them down, but I, like I remember at the end, it was kind of like a more campy element of it, where at the end, they all show up to kill James, and he's like, what are you going to do? Read me to death? Like, Yes, that was a great quote. And there was just like all these other quotes about the book club needing to take on this vampire where they were like unprepared for it. I just thought it was funny. Like I do agree with your mom that the book club element was funny. Yeah, I thought so too. Also, they screwed up their book club in the end too. Like the second permutation of their book club was definitely the most fun where it was just the five of them reading true crime books. Mm -hmm. Because then they also later when it fast forwarded three years, all of their husbands went too, and their book club was like 40 people with the men too. And they were just picking popular 90s like paperback fiction. Like it wasn't James Patterson, but like James Patterson-esque. The husbands really just killed me. I felt like the husbands sucked. Oh, yeah. They were awful. They were awful. I had this in here, but I feel like there was – I don't know how purposeful this was on the author's part or if it was unintentional. But, I mean, I definitely think there was something about gender roles and also about race relations in here Mm -hmm. that was really – kind of an unexpected element for me. Yeah. On the gender roles thing, I actually couldn't believe that this was only set in the 90s and it wasn't like the 60s or 70s. I know. Well, the 90s in the South is different than the, it's like kind of like the 60s in New York. I guess so. I mean, I didn't Um, grow up in the South. I don't really have any frame of reference, but I was so shocked by how patriarchal their relationships were. It sounded like all of the wives were stay-at-home moms and their husbands like didn't take them seriously and were just like shush woman you're you're nuts like yeah it was it was kind of crazy how bad not backwards but just how like dated the the gender norms felt agree agree and also it wasn't just from the men's side it was also the gender roles that the women put on themselves Mm -hmm. and how they felt that they should be acting and especially grace from oh the book gosh, club. Yes, Grace. Who was kind of like the most conservative. Yeah. She like, was like the most Stepford. I felt like she was a Stepford wife. Yeah, she was like the most repressed. Definitely had all these ideas about what a wife should be and what a wife should be doing. And like it was it was crazy how the women even thought of themselves in these terms and weren't like, I don't know, I feel like a more current take would they would be like eye roll, like our husbands are dumbasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that we're smarter than them, but we're not gonna tell them. But like they were like, no, my husband knows best. Like Patricia, yeah. there was a plot line where Patricia found out that her husband was cheating on her. And it was less overt than she like caught him with somebody. But there were just like all these women calling the house. And then yeah. she would just give them the number to his office and she never confronted him and she was like, even though she knew he was cheating, she was just like Yeah. 
he's the man. It's not my place. I was happy when she asked him for a divorce in the end. Me too. But oh my God. Me too. He sounded terrible. Yeah. And then also race relations. I thought that this one felt more overt to me where a lot of the plot line about the vampire, he was killing people in this black neighborhood mm-hmm. called Six Mile. And at first when Patricia goes out there, they basically like attack her because they don't like outsiders. And Mrs. Green explains to Patricia that nobody's watching out for their children and like their children are dying and nobody cares. They have to take care of it themselves. Yeah. And I thought that that was very timely in in terms of Black Lives Matter and a lot of like current events that are happening. Yeah. Obviously, they're not being attacked by vampires. So there's slight embellishment there. But yeah, I thought that that was also like a very kind of interesting take and also going through Patricia and her friend group's mentalities of like, were they responsible because these weren't their children? This wasn't their neighborhood. And like Patricia ultimately at first decided, yes, that it was somebody's children and it mattered. It was important. But then she got talked out of it by her friends and her husband. Yeah. And it sounded also like Mrs. Green had talked to Grace even before she talked to Patricia and Grace had been like, not my problem. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. Like who's obviously this is in the frame of vampires, but like whose responsibility is it when there is injustice in our society and like when should you speak up or when is it your job to speak up yeah i also thought that one of the elements that i really loved and you know i I love female friendship storylines but i loved the relationship between patricia and her book club ladies yeah i did too there was this moment at the end of chapter two this is probably the first moment where i was like oh okay because at first i was like oh i do not relate to these ladies they're all moms they're all good southern ladies and i was like uh I do not know. Yeah. But at the end of the second chapter, so Patricia is struggling to deal with her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law is like throwing plates and she's like senile, but also somewhat violent. Mm-hmm. And she calls one of her friends and says that she can't go somewhere because of Miss Mary. And Kitty, one of her friends from the book club, shows up with all of her stuff from when her mother-in-law lived there. And I love that sends, part. And sends her Mrs. Green to help. I know. That part was so touching. I know. That was one of my favorite parts Me of the too. book. Me too. And she was just like, oh, I've got this. Or even after, after the rats, which oh. we can talk about separately, but the rats when they killed Miss Mary, they basically like destroyed the house and it was like covered in rat feces and like infested basically. They're trying to find somebody to clean it. And then eventually Grace is like, nope, like we can't find anyone. So like me and Kitty and Slick are going to do it. Yeah. Like we've got this. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Like I did love the commitment that they had to one another. Yeah. Or when Slick um, needed to be taken care of and they all just took shifts. I know when she was dying at the end and she knew that she was dying and all of the book club ladies just um, sat with her and read to her. Yeah. um, Kind of like round the clock. Yeah. I know that that was very heartwarming. Mm -hmm. It did make me upset when all of their husbands shut them down that they turned on Patricia. Yeah. It just felt like the husbands were just like in charge. The husbands always had the last say. But it also was not as if the husbands were right, obviously. Yeah. The husbands were idiots. The husbands were idiots. So they were also giving bad advice. Yeah. But the women were like, no, we need to follow our husbands. Yeah, it was like the the blind leading the blind. I know. I felt terrible. I didn't put this in the plot summary, but at one point, right before the change in timelines, Patricia takes – her husband tells her that she's depressed, and mm-hmm. he's a psychiatrist, so he gives her 
I think it's Prozac or if not some kind of antidepressant. And she's so angry at him for not believing her. And she ends up taking like a bunch of them. Yeah. And I don't know that she was exactly trying to attempt suicide, but she ends up having seizures and needing to be taken to a hospital and being put on an involuntary mental hold. And it fast forwards. So we don't actually live like the period right after with her. But then she talks about it later, how like none of the book club ladies came to visit her because their husbands had like said that they needed to stay away from Patricia. I know that was really sad. I know that made me so sad. I was like, don't get in the way of these like wonderful female friendships. Yeah. Let's talk about James and Patricia's relationship. It was Interesting. I kind of thought in the beginning that they were going to have an affair. I did too. I couldn't figure out what was going on. It felt like she was attracted to him even once she knew he was a vampire. Yeah, there was just like something. There was definitely chemistry between them. And I really was like convinced in the beginning that they were going to start sleeping together. That would have been an interesting book. I probably would have liked that more maybe. Would have been a little more true blood. Yeah. I also thought that It was so crazy that Patricia – so the woman, uh, Mrs. Savage, the neighbor who bit her ear off, physically attacked her. And then Patricia's like, I have to bring a casserole over to this guy. And that's how they met. It was – that felt so Southern to me. It felt so Southern. Yeah. Yeah. It felt so like good Southern lady. Yeah. Agree. It actually – and my mom is not Southern. (laughs) I could see my mom doing something like that. Well, it was also so emblematic of their whole relationship of like Patricia trying to be polite because then even after she knew that he was a vampire, she was like so worried about how it would be perceived if she accused him of this and like needing to be polite and proper, even though she was like, he's feeding on children. Yeah. I don't know. For me, I would be like, decorum is out the window. But she was like, no, I have to be proper. When you start sucking the blood of of innocent children the quorum goes out the window oh do you know what irked me what it's not irked me but the whole book no no <laughs> i didn't hate it it just it truly wasn't my thing yeah after she sees james at six mile patricia's like he comes over and instead of being like no you can't come into my house she's like trying to play mind games with him and like trying to outsmart him And she's like, he doesn't know that I know that we know. Like, what's that from Friends where it's like, they don't know that we know that they know. Yeah. And it's like, Patricia, you're not pulling this off. Yeah. It's like, you're not going to outsmart this vampire that's been alive for like hundreds of years and like read minds. Yeah. I was going to say, it felt like he had spidey senses too. So it wasn't just that he was old and like smarter than her. It was like he had powers that she didn't. Yes, exactly. It was like, don't take him on, Patricia. Like, call the goddamn police. What about the gruesome level of this? So there were there were, there were only m- two scenes to my mind that were like truly awful. I thought the ear biting scene was pretty awful. I was more confused during it and it didn't draw out as lo- as long as the other two did. But there's to me there's the scene where the rats kill Miss Mary. Yeah. So apparently in this book vampires can harness the power of gross creatures so it seemed like rats cockroaches cockroaches, i don't know bats just like gross animals you would associate with being gross Tyrion. no he's he's nice yeah Tyrion would never be controlled by a vampire he is kind of like demonic yeah maybe He's laying in a sunbeam right now on top on my couch and he looks so happy. James is somehow commanding the rats and just felt like the floor was made of rats, which was just a mental image that I there were just couldn't handle. So many. 
Also, rats crawling on people. I I couldn't yeah. handle the when they were like coming out of the toilet. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing was that Miss Mary, because she was so old and in poor health, she was like kind of immobile. So the rats were just like she couldn't. She wasn't even like fighting them. And I was like, I really do not like this. And they really set it up like when Mrs. Green takes her shoes off before this all happens. Like I had this visual where she was like comfortable and had her shoes off. But like this whole experience would be so much worse without shoes. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I just was like visual. Like I could I felt like my I could feel my feet touching like rat fur. Oh, and they're like all like they're warm, mushy bodies and and, like the noise they make. It was great. I know. Sorry. It it was really, really visual for me. So that one felt less plausible to me in some ways because in the real world, I hope there are not vampires who control rats. The cockroach scene was well, we, so disgusting because she was in like a disgusting attic that was filled with like cockroaches and mouse droppings and like gross bugs and stuff and that did feel more plausible to me yeah i mean living in new york and having lived in in my old apartment i had a mouse once and then in this apartment we've had we the cockroaches come every spring it's just like part of the building and i'm terrified of both it sounds like our cockroach issue is much smaller than the one experienced in the book yeah i have like a dead one like every couple weeks but um, Patricia's caught in the attic and James comes home so she can't leave the attic and it's like and she crawls into this gross pile of clothes that's full of like also the graphicness of describing cockroach eggs and like larva oh for God, some reason was even more disgusting. I know. That was so disgusting and um, when she had to stay completely still because she couldn't make a noise for him to hear and one goes in her ear. Grace, that's truly my nightmare. My nightmare. Because we've had cockroaches. So I'm like, that's actually something that could happen to me. Oh, I can't even I can't even talk about that. No, it's too upsetting. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that kind of gross out stuff. I don't like it in books. I don't like it in movies. Like Mm-mm. I don't like gross things. I don't like gross things either. I can't really speak to this as much, but I could see why your mom liked this part. There was a really strong theme of like maternal protection Mm -hmm. where everything that was happening, like it was all about protecting the children either as like a collective entity or protecting their own children because she finds out that James is feeding on Corey. Yeah. I don't know. It was kind of interesting that at the end, everything kind of sucked for Patricia. Yeah. She left her husband. She had no money. She had gotten attacked by a vampire And she was like, well, I'm happy at the end because my kids are okay and, like, the threat is gone, so everything's fine. Like, that was all she wanted. Yeah, I know. I felt bad for Patricia as a character. I know. I did, too. I felt bad for all the wives, but especially her. Well, I mean, I felt really bad for Slick because she got raped and then she died. And also, before Slick, before that happened to Slick, her husband was very religious and she was like, he would not approve of me being in a book club. I have to lie and say it's a Bible study. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. And then Grace's husband was beating her. Yeah. I mean, they they all had a raw deal. Yeah, they all had a raw deal. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting that... Patricia was willing to fight James even when it wasn't her own children at stake because mm-hmm. before she knew it, it, she finds out that he's preying on Corey probably like 
I don't know, 80% of the way through the book. Yeah. Like that's not like a major plot point through it. And I thought that it was interesting that she was the one who was motivated to fight this existential threat even before it was her children yeah. versus the other ones only really like sprang into action after Corey and then more so after he attacked Slick. Yes. No, so, I know. Yeah. I could kind of see why your mom was into that. Mm-hmm. Can I give you a what the fuck about the end? Yes. Okay. So I thought that this was going somewhere very different that never happened. And I feel like it was such an obvious way to end this. So at the beginning, James asks Patricia to help him open a bank account. I thought that detail was going to come out somewhere and matter. Yeah. And so he says that he found $85,000 in his aunt's house and it was her life savings that she had like hidden in the house because she didn't trust banks and he wanted to start a bank account but he didn't have his ID and so he needed Patricia to help him and I think he didn't have an ID because he was actually like hundreds of years old so he yeah. didn't have a birth certificate or whatever so she helps him to open this bank account but then as part of it she's also on the account so if it's explained to her that if he like overdrafts the account or something like she's responsible, but at the same time she has access to the account. So it's also explained throughout this that he has a lot of money. Like he knocks down the house at one point and like builds this like mega mansion. So he like has money that he's depositing into this bank account. And after they killed him at the end, when Patricia got divorced and she was like living in this shitty apartment, I really thought the detail was going to come back around and she was going to be like, ha ha, I have James um, James Harris's bank account. Yeah. And I'm like a billionaire now. Yeah. I like, I really thought that was going to come back around. I was waiting for it. And then the book ended and like Grace gave her money that her mom had given her where she was like, a woman should always have some money of her own. And she was like, I want you to have this. But I was like, you have all James's money. Yeah. Go take that. That's so, that's so true. I was so frustrated by that. I really thought that was like going to just come full circle and get tied up with a neat bow. Yeah. And then she was going to be like, live in large. Yeah, you're right. I feel like there was, and I'm trying, I'm blanking now, but I feel like there was other details. Like, I really hate when, because I'm, I always try and be perceptive about like little details and how they'll come back later when they give you all these little details and then they don't do anything with them. Oh, I know. Yeah. I was frustrated. I felt like she deserved that at the very least. I agree. How did you feel about when they defeat James at the end? I mean, I liked it. I liked the teamwork that was going on there. I liked that they had to dismember him and and burn him. But again, it was gross. (laughs) Well, how did you feel? I thought it was funny that he was still talking his way through it. Like he was trying to talk them out of it while they were like literally dismembering him. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny. That part was funny funny to me. Like the head was like talking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't my thing. Yeah. I hope it was everyone else's thing. I think I might be in the minority because most people like scary movies. Yeah, I like a scary movie. I don't like gross. Like the gross details were definitely hard for me, but overall I liked it. This also brought up so many memories of, do you remember when collectively as a country we were in vampire mania? Yeah. Well, we had True Blood, the Twilight books. Did you read Twilight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, me too. Did you see she has another one coming out? I did see that. I'm going to read it. Yeah. I loved Twilight. I I remember reading it. I lived in San Francisco at the time, and I feel like I started reading it before all of the books were out. So I remember being like part of the mania of like, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Oh, I loved those books. Me too. I like the movies too. Yeah. Um, but I feel like for a while, 
collectively as a society everything had to do with vampires like there was also the vampire diaries on the cw oh, yeah i think it was on like i feel like everything had to do with vampires and all of the things were generally well i guess true blood was good i feel like all of the vampire content was not good either yeah true blood was good i feel like it was always about like a sexy vampire like it was yeah some of it was like hot trash but like the sexy vampire was a big trope for a while do you want to know what my favorite vampire series is is the All Souls trilogy. I, I was waiting for you to say that. Well, I guess there's four the now, so I guess it's not witches. a trilogy. Yeah, but the Discovery of Witches book mm-hmm. where she's a witch and he's a vampire. Yeah. I loved those books. I, only, I thought those were really well written and like such a good story. I only read the, I think the first two. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I love them. I read all three and I think they stayed good all the way through. And then recently there was a um, fourth book that then kind of, I can't, I can't remember if it picked up like a couple years later or something, but yeah, it like went back to the same universe. Oh. But I, I thought that was an example. You know how some series start off really strong and then by the end you're like, I'm reading because I'm invested, but it's not good anymore. Yeah. I felt that like the series stayed good all the way through. I, d- I really enjoyed the first two. I don't know why I abandoned it. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's my, those are my favorite vampires. Sometimes I just, I forget what happened and I don't want to reread the, the first book to know it you know what I mean that's I enjoy it rereading feels- so usually if I'm like reading a series actively and I'm in it while the books are coming out before the next one comes out I go back and I read the other ones to make sure that I'm like fresh yeah. and I enjoy that I don't enjoy that that's where I go wrong with trilogies I do best with a trilogy that has already been out for a while so all three books are out and I can just binge them yeah I don't I like that too that's like very yeah comforting to get lost in a world but i do like being along for the ride i miss the selection world that was fun getting lost in i bought the um the betrothed which is kira cass's new book but it has quite bad amazon reviews i think the selection has quite bad amazon reviews too oh interesting okay well maybe i'll still like it yeah you also if you want to get lost in a series you should read the court of thorns and roses by sarah j moss i don't know why you haven't read that yet. because look at my stack of books over there I know, but I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah. It has all the elements. My friend Ashley just read it like in the past few weeks and she was so addicted to it. And she was, she's like, now I'm afraid to start Throne of Glass because she's like, I'm afraid it won't be as good. Yeah. But I told her it, it was. Okay. I feel like I always advise people to start with A Court of Thorns and Roses because it's only three books versus Throne of Glass is seven books. So yeah. it's like more approachable. Shall we get out of book yeah. talk and get into other talk favorite talk yeah so guys we're not going to announce this month's book in this episode but we'll put it on instagram we just need more time to pick it yeah we don't know what it is yet so it will be a surprise to us too but as you are listening to this on the last wednesday in may we'll put it live on instagram this evening Mm -hmm. so you'll know yeah grace what are you obsessed with on instagram so i feel like i was really upset because this was making me laugh so hard, but BuzzFeed just did a big article about it today. So it's called Karen's Going Wild. I love this already. I cannot wait to look this up. It's all about, I mean, Karen is like the the, the meme creature of the, the what, entitled white woman that wants to speak to the manager. And um, it's pretty funny. Like my, my friend John, John is like always up to speed on all the memes, sent me this video where there was a Karen who got pulled over and she refused to get out of the car. So she had to be tasered. It's just like, it's just these women who are just like so angry. I had to stop 
going through it because I don't like a lot of like yelling and loudness and it was there is a lot of yelling but it's so entertaining it just started like a week ago and it already has 1.9 million followers because we love laughing at Karen's as a society yeah. mm-hmm. truly yeah what about you okay so mine I am so fascinated by the call her daddy drama that is going on yeah we should have talked about that at the beginning or maybe not i don't know i don't know i don't know that i have anything to add that hasn't been said yeah everything however if you are not up to speed taylor lorenz who was a past podcast guest has a great article in the new york times that summarizes it that grace is actually quoted in yes i was quoted or kate kennedy which i haven't listened to kate's episode yet i just finished it i've been saving it so kate kennedy of be there in five has a two hour deep dive on it so if you want to get super deep you can go there but anyway i followed the two hosts of call her daddy so sophia franklin and alexandra cooper i have not listened to the podcast in the past but i'm just embroiled in this drama from the podcast business side of it and I just I want to see because I feel like at some point it's going to boil over and the two of them are going to start spilling tea and I want to be here for it yeah no I um I follow them now too but I don't really they're not really they're none of their content is really my cup of tea but I'm just so intrigued I'm here waiting for the pot to boil over yeah I'm preemptively here for it yeah I don't know it's it's wild what about obsessions so I have two, and I forget what my second one was. I'm, the first is I've been making homemade popcorn a lot. And on the stove? On the stove. and That's so that's so Little House on the Prairie I'm you. so Little House on the Prairie these days. So full disclosure, I have a popcorn sponsor, Orville Redenbacher, and they sent me all – and originally they were like, we want to partner with you. And I was like, well, I don't have a microwave, so I can't I'm, – I'm not getting a microwave just to do this collaboration. Like, I don't have a lot of counter space, so I didn't – I don't want one. But um, they were like, no, we actually have pop loose popcorn that you can pop on your stove. And I've been making it every night. I love popcorn. I never make it – It's so easy. And I, I – um, I, I'll get bags of skinny pop sometimes, which yeah, I love. I love skinny pop. But I pop. never make popcorn. And every time I have it, I'm like, this is so good. Why don't I do this more often? Yeah. I've been having it legit every night. Do you know what it's really good with? What? Frank's Red Hot. Oh my God. That just blew my mind. Well, Frank's is my other thing I'm obsessed with. It's not my obsession this week, but I put it in everything. Scrambled eggs. My favorite like hangover snack is I take an English muffin with like tons of Frank's and cheddar cheese. And I love it. Obviously, buffalo chicken. Put Frank's on popcorn. It's going to change your life. Oh my God. I can't wait. It's so good. But wait, what is my other obsession? She's, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I don't know. Do you want me to tell you mine? And then if you think of yours, we can come back. Okay. So mine are, I got these new sneakers. So I got them before quarantine because I was going to Dance Body a lot. Yes. Which is a workout studio in New York. And I think they also have it in Miami. And there's a lot of jumping in it. And I was noticing that it was kind of bothering my like shins and knees to do so much jumping because I just had like the Nike fly knit, like the really thin, barely there, like studio workout shoes. Yeah. So um, Ashley Spivey told me about these sneakers, which are the ones that they recommend you use for dance body. And it's the Asics Gel Nimbus sneakers. And they're like super fat bottomed sneakers. And they're like really cushioned. Okay. And I have really flat feet. And um, so I have been going on these like epically long walks over quarantine, and especially this month because I've been really stressed. And I feel like walking is my most healthy way of dealing with stress. Yeah. 
And I've started wearing these sneakers for my walks. Yeah. Just because they were around and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just wear these. Grace, they're my like most comfortable orthopedic shoes. Oh, I love that for you. They're so comfortable. Um, the only thing I will say is that they do not come in good colors. I have the all black ones, mm. um, but the rest of the color combinations are not excellent. I generally think sneakers are terrible in terms of colors like I generally just do white or black yeah I think they have an all white pair too if you prefer that I wasn't confident in my ability to keep those clean enough yeah but they're so comfortable cool I like cannot recommend these enough if you are either doing like high impact jumping things or like me going on five mile daily walks with flat feet yeah oh I remembered my other obsession what is it it's a brand called worthy threads and they make really fun tie to dye sweatsuits. Ooh. I found out Is about that what them you were from, wearing the other night? Yeah, I just had the sweatshirt on, but I found out about them from Katie Storino. I got a very fun, like it's like blue and pink and purple and black, like um, tie dye sweatsuit, but they have a rainbow one and they have a pink one, they have a black one. Uh, our tie dye sweatshirts from Etsy still haven't come. We got oh tie dye sweatshirts with that on paper embroidered on the neckline for ourselves as a gift to ourselves, but I they think- haven't come. And now it's going to be too warm i mean i guess we'll still wear sweatshirts but it's gonna be too warm yeah i think it might be partially my fault because i linked to her on etsy a bunch of times and i can see how many sales i drive and i've drove like over fifteen thousand dollars in sales for her which is awesome but we put in our order before that it should be first in first out think that she would be prioritizing us it's fifo not lifo exactly so i think that she might be overwhelmed Okay. Well, I'm glad that her Etsy business is doing well. Yeah. But I also would like my sweatshirt. I know. What about on the reading front? Grace, have you done anything else this week other than read books? Yes. It was because Grace. of it was because of last weekend. So last weekend on Friday I finished the Book of Longings by Sue Monk Kidd, which was amazing. It was kind of like a historical fiction. It was a historical fiction book based around the Bible. Imagine if Jesus had a feminist wife. So that was – it was wonderful. It was one of the best books I've read in a while. I read two very fun, quick thrillers. I read each of them in like an afternoon. The first one was called Perfectly Famous by Emily Liebert. And then the second one was called The Lies We Told by Camilla Way. I loved them both. And then I'm kind of simultaneously right now reading two books. I'm reading The Boyfriend Project by Farrah Roken. And I have to say I love Book of the Month. They are one of our sponsors. They're amazing. They pick the best books. The description is kind of a lie. Like, and I was going back and forth about this with, with a couple of readers in my DMs this morning. Hear me out. The book, the book of the month page talks about how it's like this woman who befriends her her boyfriend's mistress. Um, and that's not what happens. It's three women that are all like casually dating the same guy meet. Um, and they've all gone on like three or four dates and like, I get that you can be mad, but I guess in today's modern society, like everyone's kind of dating a bunch of people and like to, and like none of them had had sex with him yet. Like it wasn't like it was like a serious boyfriend. So I felt like book of the month kind of hyped up the drama around the woman and the friendships and that's not it at all. It's really just like a chick lit romance about this girl and this guy in an office. So I haven't read this book yet, but I feel less I feel less strongly that that's misleading. Like I knew that there was going to be a romance that she was going to fall in love with somebody else because it like has yeah. a cover with like hearts on it and No, I know. I just I felt I was really intrigued by the drama and the idea of making friends with your 
husband's mistress. Um, and that's not really what it was about. I felt okay. like it was it, it sold me on something I wasn't that it's not. It's a fine book. I am about seven sixty five percent of the way there. And I, I it grew on me, but it took me about 120 pages to like it. And that so I'm glad I kept going, but I don't know. I, I'm not totally jazzed about it. The other book that I'm reading is nonfiction, and this was recommended to us by Alicia Ramos, who was a past podcast guest, and it's called The Art of Showing Up by Rachel Wilkerson Miller. And this is more of like a self-help book, but it's all about like t- um, both how to take better care of yourself and your own needs and like becoming more self-aware and also how to be a better friend. Interesting. Yeah. So I did not read it quite as much as you. I read, I finished Writers and Lovers by Lily King, which I really loved. And a bunch of people had DM'd me wanting to know my thoughts on this. I feel like people were on the fence about it for some reason. I really enjoyed it. I think that it reminded me a lot of Sweet Bitter. So if you liked that that. book, then I think you would also like this. It's set in the 90s and it's about a woman who's a writer and then she's in a love triangle with two different men, one of whom is like more established and like he's a famous writer and then one of whom is like also struggling and she's trying to decide not if she wants to date up or down, but like which is the right one for her. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was a little more literary, but it was still... It was still fast. Okay. Yeah. So I really liked that. I finished that last weekend. Then I started Happy and You Know It by Laura Henkin. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. It was a very good book. It was so good. Grace talked about it last week. This is the one about the girl who's like almost famous in a band, gets kicked out of the band right before they make it big, and then becomes a playgroup singer, like a children's musician for an, a rich bunch of Upper East Side moms. And this book was, like, so salacious. It was so good. I really enjoyed it. So fun. I read it in a day and a half. I loved it. Yeah. So, and then I read our book club book. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been reading. But I'm hoping to have a very reading weekend. I feel like I have so many books I'm excited about. Yeah, I have so many that I can't wait to read. And I don't know. I just can't wait to just curl up. Me too. That's what I'm doing tonight. Yeah. So... As we said, we are going to tell you our book club pick on Instagram um, tonight if you're listening to this on Wednesday, mm-hmm. or it will already be there if you're listening to this after the fact. And we'll also announce it in the Facebook group as always. Yeah. And if you would like more of us, please join our Facebook group for more discussions on everything from stationery to resumes to books to what else has been discussed this week? I can't even remember. I can't remember. A lot of stuff. A lot of things. Um, it's my favorite place on the internet. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. And I am on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And my new podcast is launching on Monday. And it is at Romcom Pods. And I would be so grateful if you followed it. Yeah. And I'm on Instagram at, at Grace Atwood. And my blog is thestripe.com. I post there every single day. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye, guys.